welcome to the Soul Revival Church Podcast. My name is Melissa Poisel, and my husband TJ and I are the lead pastors here at Soul Revival. Thank you so much for listening in. We pray that today's message is encouraging and inspiring. How's everybody feeling? You feel good? Yeah? Like Melissa shared, there's just this excitement, this anticipation that's been brewing for today. And um, if you haven't visited us before, it's been a little while since you've been here. We've been in this series called In My Feelings because we've all been in our feelings from one time or another. But we've been exploring the emotions that we have and that God actually gave us those emotions to be able to express the way we're feeling, but ultimately to know that he is with us and that we can turn to him in the middle of those feelings that we're having. And today I felt like what better topic for us to really dive into than the topic of anticipation. You know, that feeling of waiting on something, that excitement as you wait for something new to happen. And um, if you got your Bible today, cool. Uh, If you don't, we'll end up putting on the screen behind me, but we're going to be in Zechariah 9. Uh, But before I get there, I just want to let you know, like I I know the Bible can be intimidating if you don't open it often, or maybe you've never had one, or you're like, hey, if I open it, the pages might start on fire, or maybe I will. Um, I promise you that will not happen, okay? Uh, The Bible is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. This is a love story about the God of the universe who loved each and every one of us so much that he created mankind to spend time with us. But he also gave us the free gift of free will. And because of that free will, that opportunity to make our own decisions, that's how sin entered into the world. And because God is perfect, it separated man from God. But this is his story of coming back after us, of him sending his son, Jesus, to die for us. And in Zechariah 9, I'm going to read verse 9 today. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And if you're taking notes today, the title of this message is Homecoming. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you're here right now. Thank you that you come into these spaces with us. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak today, that you would help me get out of the way, whatever you have for each and every one of us, that we can walk out of here, not only experiencing your goodness more so, but having the courage and the faith to live it out. God, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Woo! Homecoming. Some people immediately might have some young people in the room like you immediately thought of high school. Whether you play in a sport and you're excited about that homecoming week and who your opponent might be, or maybe you're waiting on the dance, or you just hate homecoming, you're like, I never went to that dance. That wasn't for me. Um, But one thing when I think about homecomings that always get me are those videos that they'll show of, you know, men and women returning from serving overseas and they might pop up and surprise their kids and they just freak out. Anybody else like seeing those videos? It like gets you every time. Like, man, that was good. Um, And and I know the feeling just slightly because I work and travel occasionally. And that homecoming I have when my kids run to the door and I was only gone for two days. I'm like, man, I feel loved. That homecoming felt great. But that anticipation building up to it, you know, even with technology and having these tools like FaceTime or what's that? WhatsApp, whatever that other thing is people might use. Sorry, Apple has not sponsored this message. 
But despite any technology that we may have and the ability to communicate with people and even see people on the other side of a screen, nothing quite beats that face-to-face interaction. And that anticipation that builds up as you're waiting for that moment to arrive, where you can finally see your loved person again, where you can finally be in the presence of that individual that you've just been waiting for, that homecoming. Well, on this Sunday, apart from having a helicopter drop a whole bunch of candy that everybody's excited about, we're celebrating what a lot of people might call Palm Sunday. But it is the Sunday before Easter because we are celebrating the homecoming of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. The homecoming of the Messiah coming into the holy city to take claim for the kingdom of God. This anticipation that for centuries people have been waiting for, waiting on this Messiah to return. And that moment has finally arrived. And as we explore that moment today, I want us to take a look at all of the different Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament. Gospel means good news. It is the writing of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what's beautiful about this reading today is that you've got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels. Those are the three that are very similar. But then John kind of liked to do his own thing. So there's only a certain number of moments within Jesus' ministry. You actually get to see it in all four of them. And as I've been praying over this and diving into God's word, he really pulled a few things out to me that I want to share with you today. And, And I pray that it would encourage your heart, challenge your heart, and spur you closer to Jesus because our call and our invitation because of his arrival, because of his homecoming, is that we get to spend eternity with him and invite other people into it with us. And I want to read for you in Mark 11, starting in verse 1. As they're arriving to Jerusalem, as they're getting ready to approach and ascend down, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, Lord, the Lord needs it. And he'll send it back shortly. Now, this is hilarious to me because think about it. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's like, hey, can you just go into that town? You'll see a colt there, this little baby donkey. Just go ahead and bring it back to me. Like, what? You want me to go steal it? No, no, no. Just just go do it. Just tell them I said I sent you, and they'll be good. Trust me. If that were you, would you just listen? If you've been following Jesus for three years and seeing all the things he's doing, you you might say, yeah, I I would do it. I would do it. But I I can just anticipate and uh, appreciate these disciples' hesitancy because even though you're doing it for Jesus, I'd be like, "Uh, I think I'm supposed to take this colt here. And there's people just standing there looking at him. And as you read it in Matthew and and Luke too, they even question him like, hey, what are you doing? They're like, "Uh, the, the Lord said I should do it. Oh, okay, cool. Whew, we got this. Let's go. Let's take this colt back to Jesus. But something that hit me this time as I was reading this scripture, because all that's cool and funny and all, but was the colt. The colt. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down the colt. 
Because Jesus sends his disciples in to bring this colt that it said had never been ridden. Young. The colt being the baby. Some of you might think, man, that's crazy because it's too young. It's too weak. It's too wild. No experience. Has not been tamed yet. But that's what Jesus called. That's what Jesus asked for. And I just, I felt on my heart that I needed to share with some people in here today that some of you have been feeling like you're not good enough, like you're too young, you're too weak, you're too wild, you're not tame enough, you're not experienced enough, that yet Jesus, he looks at you and says, no, but I want that. I care about that. Actually, I'm going to send some people to go get that. The cult. Historically, the cult, what it signified was royalty and peace. And as Jesus calls them to go and get it and bring it back to him so that he can ride down into Jerusalem on it, most people would think, yeah, but wouldn't he want a horse? Wouldn't he want to go in there as this Messiah, as this warrior? And he's like, no, I'm calling the cult. And in Matthew... Verse 21, it continues, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. You know, I'm like, I, I just heard you say that, right? Because if we continue, I want to pull up Zechariah 9 again. 9-9. Nine, nine. Where it says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a what? A colt. The foal of a donkey. See, as you think of this homecoming and this anticipation of Jesus and his arrival, he was coming to fulfill a prophecy that had been spoken 500 years before it. 500 years before it. And some might say, oh, yeah, but of course, Jesus, he knew that scripture. So, of course, he was going to ask for a colt. Well, if you have an untamed, wild, crazy little colt, you want to try to ride that? Some of you are like, I don't know. I've never ridden a horse. I never have either, but I've seen shows where people try to ride a wild horse, try to tame one, you know, and it goes a little crazy. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, let me throw my jacket up there and did it, did it, did it. See, but what Jesus does through this cult is he says, not only am I fulfilling that prophecy, but even in that prophecy before it says, I'm going to use the things that look weak, that look too young, not good enough, not the obvious choice for anybody else. I'm going to choose that to fulfill my plan for the world, a cult. And I got real excited reading that because I can relate to the cult because I know I was young, dumb, crazy, and Jesus saved me. I made a whole lot of mistakes, and he still said, hey, I got a plan for your life. And someone in here, you need to know today that God has a plan for your life. And you might find yourself feeling like the cult, like nobody would choose you, like you're the outcast or the outsider, or that you're not good enough or strong enough or have it all together. And Jesus will still say, I choose you. I got a prophecy to fulfill through your life. 
because Jesus says, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I came to seek and save the lost. That's who I came for. He said, the meek will inherit the earth. We might not have chose that cult, but Jesus did. That prophecy beforehand, because the Father in heaven knew that he wanted to use a cult to fulfill it. And that Jesus, he said, yeah, I can even welcome in the craziest of cults. And it will still come in tame and bring me into the glory of God. Through a cult. Don't let your inexperience hold you down. If you're a young person here today, do not let your age make you feel like you can't do what God's calling you to do. Don't let your infancy and your faith, maybe you haven't been following Jesus for that long to think, man, he, I feel like he's calling me to something bigger, but I can't listen to that. I can't follow through because I'm just not ready yet. God's not looking for people that are ready. He's looking for people that are available, willing to receive what he's calling them into and watch what he'll do in your life. Man, the cult. As it continues in Matthew 21, it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's where it comes in, Palm Sunday, these branches that were being laid down as this sign of honor and reverence. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is this declaration of save. And it's translated two ways. It's he saves, like we're praising him because he has saved us. Here comes the Messiah. And it's also known to be this cry for salvation to say, please save. Hosanna. They'd been praying and anticipating and waiting for this arrival, this homecoming of the one who is going to save them from their captivity, from their brokenness, from all of it. They were waiting on Jesus. And they're celebrating and they're crying out, Hosanna. But if we look in Luke, it says, as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. Okay, we just read that. But when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. So not only was it just any crowd, it was disciples. Disciples are students. Those saying, I'm following Jesus and what he's doing. And they're there joyfully excited and celebrating who Jesus was. Why? They were doing it in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They had seen Jesus do some pretty miraculous things. So now the time had come. Now they were heading in for Passover, this annual celebration that took place in Jerusalem. They're like, oh, Jesus finally is coming in. And Jesus didn't let people celebrate him like that. If you read throughout the other gospels, up until this point in time, he was always trying to keep things cool, like trying to keep himself like tucked away and quiet about it. But here he let them praise him and celebrate him in this moment. Here in this moment, he was willing to say, yes, here I am, because he knew what he was about to fulfill for you and for me. He was doing exactly what everyone had been anticipating he would do. He was coming into Jerusalem to provide salvation for everyone. The king was finally coming home. What a beautiful homecoming. 
Peace in heaven and glory in the highest, they shouted. Here's the next C I want to look at, the crowd. So we saw the colt, now the crowd. The thing about the crowd is they were very excited because they had seen everything that Jesus had done. But it also said that some went in front of him, ahead of him, and some followed behind him. And, and maybe I'm just reading too far into it, but I, I just kept thinking, like, what, what about those? Why was no one walking with him, you know? Because he was there, present. Now, Jesus calls us all to follow him, so I do think it's important those that follow him, but sometimes we might get ahead of ourselves, too. But the crowd, what really stuck out to me about this crowd is they were celebrating and glorifying the name of Jesus. But if you read ahead, in less than a week's time, those same voices are the ones that are shouting and asking for them to crucify him. The crowds. It's easy to get caught up in a crowd. Sometimes it's easy to walk within a crowd, but it's very important that we don't lose Jesus in the middle of a crowd. At the same people who had been celebrating and rejoicing that Jesus was coming. Why? Because they had seen the miracles he had performed. They saw what he's done. Man, he did that? He's going to do it again? Now he's fulfilling this prophecy because they've been reading it too. Oh, yeah, let's go with him. We're rolling up. Lay out those palm branches. Lay out those jackets. We're coming in. We're about to take over. You ever felt that way? Like when, you, when you're riding with somebody and they just feel so super confident, you're like, man, wherever they go, I know good things are happening. So I'm going to walk with the swag too. That was the whole crowd with them. Like, yeah, we got this. But what happens next is very interesting. What happens next is what gets to a lot of people when they're going with the crowd and not following Christ. Sometimes we can get pulled off track. We can lose focus of what's important and the task at hand. Because being part of a crowd can make you feel good in a moment, but it also can lead you in directions that you may not want to go. Or you might just end up going with the crowd because that's where everybody else is headed. But in Luke 19, it continues and says, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. Hey, no one can keep quiet because I am coming in to fulfill what had been promised. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. See, what happened here was that the critics showed up. The critics. Yes, some of you, I like alliteration. 
if you hadn't noticed before. Thing about critics, they like to hide in crowds. Someone, uh, we were having a conversation with uh, someone earlier this week, and they said, you know what, like the critics, those people that are always got something smart to say, always looking at the negative edge, never really trying to really see God through the middle of things. It's like, man, that is the loudest minority. I was like, whew, that's good, and I'm stealing it. The loudest minority. Typically, the people that yell the loudest represent the smallest percent of the crowd. But because now these critics start to question Jesus and ask him what he's doing, what do you think you're doing right now, allowing these people to celebrate you? These loud critics now impacting the entire crowd and you start to see things sway in a different direction, which is why Jesus wept. Because his heart broke, because he knew what his arrival signified. And the fact that even then, people were turning from him. Even then, these critics questioned it because they were missing the point. And I found myself in those spaces. Sometimes you look really critically at things and you start to lose sight of what Jesus calls you to. And you say, yeah, but where's God in that? Am I focused on Jesus or everything else around me? Because these critics within the crowd, they've seen these miracles that Jesus has performed, but they're too threatened by it, thinking it's going to change their way of life and the power and the authority that they had. So they've constantly been trying to question Jesus along the way, and here they are again, these critics. We can find ourselves as the cult as just a part of the crowd, or we could find ourselves as a critic, but I think in different seasons of our lives, we might find ourselves in those different spaces, but as we can reflect on God's word here and dive in and hone in on asking God to reveal to us and within our hearts, like, God, let me see you in whatever season that I'm in because I want to come to you with everything I've got because Jesus, how he comes as this arrival, this homecoming, he will fulfill the prophecy. He will fulfill the promises within your life. He will overcome all obstacles. And we get to choose whether or not we want to be a part of the journey. I might have watched The Star too many times. You know, the kids' movie about Christmas. But you just see this donkey. He's got his own personality. Like, and I'm, I'm envisioning that as this cult comes up because now he's like, I'll go with Jesus, Clearly. He acknowledged who he was. Sometimes those that seem like they've got the hardest heart, the moment that wildness within them gets impacted by Jesus. You see this radical transformation and they're so on fire. Like, man, Jesus, wherever you point me, I'm there. Wherever you want me to go, I'm there. You can call that cult ride or die, you know what I'm saying? Thanks, babe. She smiled for me because she knew no one else laughed at my joke. Or we can get caught up in the crowd. And yes, they were excited, but why were they excited? They were too focused on the miracles and not the Messiah. They were way too focused on the wrong thing. And yes, Jesus performed miracles, but Jesus, he would perform a miracle, but then point to the spiritual, the soul, to help people, to redefine people, to give them hope and help them see something differently. So anytime a miracle took place, there was an underlying teaching he had 
for these individuals. But here the crowd is only focused on the miracles. And they're losing sight of the Messiah, which made it easy for them to allow the critics to impact their thought process and ultimately cry out and ask for the crucifixion of Jesus. But how? Like what happened? They celebrated and what changed from that moment in time to a week later? I want to take us back to last week a little bit. If you missed the message, you should check it out because Melissa spit some fire about grief. Like I'm excited about grief, not really, but the way that she approached it and the, what she shared within it. John 12, 9. Let me read this and then I'll explain. Like, man, this dude's all over the place. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm excited today. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. What? See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they didn't talk about this. But this happened right before they came into Jerusalem. You guys didn't look nearly as shocked. You're like, we were all here. Okay, cool. Jesus raised him from the dead. Okay. Yes. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So Jesus goes, raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. They're having a little party to celebrate it. People start to hear and find out that, hey, Jesus is back in town. He's hanging out with Lazarus. He rose him from the dead. So let's go check this thing out. So they go, and they find Lazarus, and these Pharisees, the critics, are like, man, this dude is, he is alive. That's why all those disciples are celebrating. That's why they're following Jesus into the city. He just raised the dead dude to life. I'll follow somebody like that, too. I'm not going to lie. Even if you didn't know anything else about him, and you saw that happen, like, oh, yeah, I better, I better see where he's going. So here, in this moment, now you've got these Pharisees. They're threatened because it's going to take away their power because too many people are starting to believe in who Jesus is because of this. And I'm going to ask our team to come up. I'm almost done. But despite this plot against Jesus' life and Lazarus' life, it still did not stop him from coming into the city. It still did not stop him for his homecoming into Jerusalem because of what God, his Father in heaven, had called him to do and the prophecy he came to fulfill. He arrived on a cult. He arrived with a crowd, and he arrived despite these critics calling out to him and these critics that had been plotting against him to kill him. So they were just plotting in that crowd. That loud majority just waiting for the moment to strike and say something because they've been plotting. In our modern days, we call them trolls, you know. They're just waiting. Watch, watch when they post one thing wrong. They get one word wrong in that thing. I'm calling them out. Just wait. I'm just waiting. See, but here's the thing. In the middle of all of it, whether you identify yourself with the cult and you're like, yeah, I'm ready to be saved 
because I'm gonna acknowledge the fact that I might be weak and not have it all together, but he's coming for me. Or if I'm in the crowd and saying, look, I'm gonna stop looking at critics and stop getting excited about just the miracles that take place, but look at the Messiah. But the Pharisees, yes, even the Pharisees, the critics, in all of that, our focus needs to be on the Christ, on Jesus, because Jesus came for all of them. He came for all of them. And as you continue to read throughout the Gospels, Pharisees accepted Jesus. Pharisees were following Jesus. They were afraid to admit it, though, because of the noise of all of the other Pharisees. But people had an opportunity to either say, I'm going to accept Jesus for who he is or not. The Christ. Jesus who's coming to save the lost. And the reason why the crowds were able to be swayed by the critics is because when Jesus arrived, he was no longer performing miracles. He arrived into Jerusalem because he would pay the ultimate price. He would give his life for ours. That's what gets me. His friend Lazarus, he raises him from the dead to give him new life. But he knew that he must give his life so that we could have ours. So that we could enter into a relationship with God directly because he offers salvation to us all. No matter where you find yourself, whatever category you might see yourself in in this moment, to know that his grace and his mercy is enough. His love is enough. His care for you is enough. And over this next week, I would encourage you, dive into God's word. Read from this moment onward. Read about the last week of Jesus' life and process and ask God, what is he speaking to your heart? about the invitation you have into a relationship with him because now as he arrived, he didn't arrive the way everyone had anticipated the Messiah would arrive. They thought they would come in with guns blazing and just take over the city and reclaim the power that God has. But no, God chooses to do things differently. In an unexpected way. So what do we do when we have this anticipation, this homecoming finally arrives, but the outcome isn't what we expected it to be? That loved one returns, but now you're trying to figure out how do we do life with each other now because we've been apart for so long, whether it's coming home from the military, maybe it was a little business trip, maybe it's someone that's been locked up for a little while. What does that look like? What's that homecoming look like? And how does that impact our hearts when the outcome doesn't look or match the anticipation we had leading into it? Because that is what we see as Jesus arrived into Jerusalem. Is that the outcome did not match the anticipation. That this homecoming had taken place, but Jesus didn't do what everyone else thought that he should do. And it can be easy to get caught up sometimes and think, yeah, I've talked to God so many times, but I've got this critical heart right now because I just feel like he hasn't answered me. He hasn't given me the things that I've wanted or that I've desired or I've been asking him and talking to him, so he must not care and he doesn't hear need to know sometimes his plan just looks different than the plans we have. The way he wants it looks different than what we would hope for. 
the Bible promises us that life will be challenging and difficult, that struggles will be ahead of us, but God offers us his presence in the middle of it. He allows us the ability to be strengthened, to be giving perseverance through a faith in Jesus. And he's saying, look, I'm not just saying life's hard for you, but I'm gonna model it too, because as he came in to lay his life down for ours, that wasn't easy. And he did it to fulfill every prophecy that had ever been spoken. If you read throughout all of scripture, you see prophecy after prophecy about him coming. Even if we stick in the book of Zechariah, I'm going to read chapter 11, verses 12 to 13. It says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. This is referencing that moment where his friend Judas betrays him and the silver that it was worth. Like you read 500 years in the past and these prophecies come to fruition. There's a prophecy over each and every one of our lives and God will see it to come through to fruition. But it might not look the way we expected. It might not always look the way we would hope for or the way that we would want it to. But if we focus on Christ, if we trust in him, we trust that he has got us and we look at his life and the, what he modeled for us and how he sacrificed himself for us, it can make all the difference. That homecoming. For some in this space today, this may be that homecoming, that homecoming of accept, accepting and meeting Jesus for the first time. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the good news about Jesus we shared. Or maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you've never gotten a chance to hear about or experience his love and what he offers. He came to seek and save the lost as he came in to Jerusalem, he was not coming in to take over the way everyone would have wanted or expected him to do it. But he came to fulfill every prophecy that had ever been told in the past. And here today, as God says, I came to seek and save the lost, I feel like we're gonna see prophecies fulfilled. See, in every service, we always close by giving people an opportunity to respond or respond to what God might be speaking to your heart or within your life in this moment right now. And some of you have never made that decision to step into a relationship with Jesus. God's word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. There's no special class you have to go through. There's no 10-step process you have to follow. The salvation that comes through Jesus based on the sacrifice that he made for you and for me. In order to have that salvation, you simply need to respond. So I'm going to ask, if everyone will bow your head and close your eyes in this space, I want to make it a safe space for everyone. But in a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you today and you say, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus, I would ask that you would just shoot your hand in the air and say, I believe. Because you're believing it in your heart right now. You are feeling that transformation. But now you have an opportunity to respond to it. So when I get to three, just shoot that hand in the air. One, know that Jesus loves you, that he came and he died for you. Two, he'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll meet you where you're at, but he'll take you into new spaces. And three, if that's you, would you shoot your hand up high today? Would you raise it high? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, 
Thank you. God, I thank you for each and every hand that raised today, God. I thank you that you come into these spaces and you meet us exactly where we are. And we thank you for the radical transformation that you offer within our hearts. God, we are sorry for where we fall short. We are sorry and we thank you that you see our sin as far as the east is from the west. That you offer us forgiveness through the salvation that comes through Jesus. God, I pray your favor and blessing over every person who made that decision today, God, that you would encourage their hearts, strengthen their minds, and surround them with people to help them walk through and navigate what it looks like to follow you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Soul Revival Church Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review us to help reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus. If you would like to support our ministry, you can visit us online at www.soulrevival.church.